The Treasury Department has failed for years to fix controls in the systems it uses to, well, account for the country's finances. Therefore, in its latest audit of the government's consolidated financial statement, the Government Accountability Office says it can't render an opinion because of the ongoing material weaknesses. To learn more details, Federal News Network's Tom Temin spoke to the GAO's Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues, Don Simpson. Isn't this getting to be a little bit of an old story by now, that the somehow all of the, even with agencies individually being able to get clean financial statements, it doesn't add up at the government-wide level. Tell us what you found this year. So we did find that we were not able to provide an opinion on the U.S. government's consolidated financial statements. Uh, And that is because of continuing problems in in certain areas that have been existing for, for quite a while. But we did see progress as well. There continues to be progress in, in many different different areas that are, you know, moving in the right direction. Uh, One example is with the Department of Defense, which has historically, you know, been unable to provide reliable, uh, you know, financial statements. They, They did make progress in closing a significant number of their prior year uh, findings. And so there are areas that are that are making good progress. Um, But the overall conclusion this past year was that we were not able to provide an opinion. Is the lack of finalization of its controls and the ability to do a clean audit of the Defense Department the reason that you can't do the government-wide one? That is to say, if you backed out the Defense Department, would everything else add up? Well, we do have three major impediments to providing an opinion. The Department of of Defense is one of those major impediments, um, but there are two others. Uh, One relates to intergovernmental transactions, and these are the transactions that occur between federal entities. And and there's quite a few of transactions that that, uh, occur um, between the federal entities. And being able to eliminate those in consolidation Uh, is important in order to present the consolidated financial statements in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. And so there there is a a material weakness related to being able to eliminate those transactions. And then the third material weakness, the longstanding impediment, relates to the preparation processes uh, themselves, that the Department of Treasury and the Office of Management and Budget as the preparers of the consolidated financial statements, um, their, their uh, deficiencies in, the, in those processes. And let's talk for a minute about the intragovernmental transfers. Is this a substantial amount of money that goes back and forth among agencies? This is more than just a rounding error in the 1.5 or so trillion dollars that the government needs to account for every year? There is a substantial amount of activity that occurs between federal entities. And so all of that activity and balances um, in order to present the consolidated financial statements you know, must be eliminated. And there are still some, uh, some deficiencies in being able to effectively uh, eliminate that in consolidation. And when you look at the consolidated financial statements, uh, you can see that there are line items on there called um, unreconciled. And those are where those amounts that are needed to have balanced financial statements. And because of the issues in the intergovernmental area, these additional lines are needed on the financial statements in order to make them balanced. And these are worth billions, fair to say? 
Yes. What you see on the financial statements is a net amount, but but there is a lot of pluses and minuses that are going into into that net amount that, that does uh, come up to the billions of dollars. All right. We're speaking with Don Simpson, Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And with respect to the weaknesses in Treasury and OMB, these have been longstanding. And once again, you're recommending that they fix I guess, 12 recommendations that you had two years ago, there were 15 of them. So they fixed a few. Just give us the rundown there. Right. So the uh, there are 12 open recommendations that we um, currently have as, a, as of the end of our fiscal year 20 audit. And these recommendations are specifically related to the processes that the Department of Treasury and the Office of Management and Budget follow in preparing the consolidated financial statements. Uh, there are many other recommendations out at the agency level that, that the auditors of those agency level financial statements um, and have as well. But our, our recommendations are focusing on the processes for preparing the consolidated financial statements. And we do have 12 that are currently open and they follow with um, some of what we were talking about just a minute ago related to the um, major impediments in preparing the consolidated financial statements, both related to intergovernmental as well as the preparation processes. But we did find that, that Treasury is continuing to implement. They've been working diligently these past few years in implementing corrective actions to address address our recommendations, and they made progress in many different areas. Um, And as a result, we were able to close three recommendations from our prior year reports based on the corrective actions that they had implemented. And those dealt with certain improvements in their processes and procedures uh, related to restatements and prior year information, as well as improving corrective action plans and and, um, a third one related to legal contingencies. So fair to say that the CFOs at the individual departments and large agencies have what they need to get good statements. But somehow when it all adds up at the Treasury level, that's where the weaknesses are. Is that a fair way to describe the situation? It's a combination. I mean, for the most part, yes, agencies are are doing, are able to um, um, obtain clean or unmodified opinions on their financial statements. Um, Most of the major departments and agencies do receive uh, clean audit opinions. Um, There are two agencies this past year that were not able to achieve a clean opinion. Um, The Department of Defense, which we talked about being a major impediment, as well as the Small Business Administration. And so those those two entities being able to um, to have clean audit opinions on their financial statements is key. And then from um, the preparation process or the consolidation process that Treasury and OMB have, uh, the improvements in their controls related to those preparation processes are also important. And what is the importance of all of this? I mean, the government takes in what it takes in, it spends what it spends, pretty much without regard to how much deficit they're running up because that's just in the realm of politics more than anything else at this point. And so what's the importance of having these consolidated financial statements that are clean? 
consolidated financial statements provide a lot of good information to um, to the citizens and Congress about the the finances of the government. It shows the you know the government's assets, liabilities, revenues, costs, and um, so uh, you know a lot of good information. And to have that information be reliable is important to um, management and others that are making decisions. Um, and and so having that reliable information is key to be able to to uh, you know, make good good decisions um and so that that is uh, you know really what you know trying to achieve in improving federal financial management is getting to to where there are uh, consolidated financial statements that do present uh, you know reliable amounts and when a bill comes along like the cares act or the infrastructure bill they're contemplating these bills that are beyond the regular appropriations that we are familiar with or the upcoming infrastructure bill that could be, or the human infrastructure that could be another three, four, five trillion. If you take up all of these trillions, that money is also included in the consolidated financial statements, or is that correct? Right. So, yes, um, the consolidated financial statements are presenting the information um, that that would be included per federal accounting standards um, related to the federal government as a whole. And uh, this past year, there was 165 federal entities that were part of the U.S. government's consolidated financial statements. And so all of that information is consolidated and, and presented as one set of financial statements. So if and for this past year, given the significance of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you all, you will see um, if you look at the entire report. Um, uh, you will see quite a few places, given the significance of that information, that it is discussed, including a new note disclosure that um, provides details related to that response. Uh, so that was definitely a very key area this past year, uh, and you can gather quite a bit of information related to it in reading the consolidated financial statements. So if Congress appropriates it, it makes its way into the consolidated financial statements. Yes. It should make for good reading then. And with respect to the debt that is caused by the spending and the appropriations and what's coming up could be much larger in terms of the debt. That does also appear in the consolidated financial statements? The balance sheet that's presented with the consolidated financial statement shows uh, the assets and liabilities of the federal government, one of which is the federal debt, which is what the government owes to outside investors. That debt is presented on the balance sheet. And for fiscal year 20, as of the end of fiscal year 20, that amount was... $21.1 trillion. And so when you look at the balance sheet, you will see see that amount of debt there. And that $21 trillion is a big number as Congress prepares to maybe add on more to it, a lot more to it in just the next fiscal year, two, three. The GAO has commented on the unsustainability of the finances of the country going forward. What do we say now that even bigger spending is contemplated? So one of the financial statements that's presented at the consolidated or for the U.S. government um, that's unique to um, the government is a statement of long-term fiscal projections. And, and this is done just at the consolidated level. And it, it is to give you know readers a sense of, of uh, where 
what that um, present value of receipts compared to non-interest spending looks like over 75 years. And it's to, to really see what, what that over a 75 year period, what does that look like when you compare receipts to non-interest spending? And when you look at that, as well as the disclosures that are in the consolidated financial statements that show that debt is growing faster than gross domestic product, you see that, um, that the government is on an unsustainable fiscal path given that, and this can, this is under the assumption that there are uh, related to no policy changes. So if there's no policy changes, basically where these 75-year projections are showing is that we're on an unsustainable fiscal path. Dawn Simpson is Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.